Investments in securities involve the risk of loss. Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. Later in the show, we'll double down on Holyoke. We'll talk with the students from the Youth Archivist for Social Change, a part of Holyoke's Ethnic Studies program who just completed a summer-intensive program preserving materials from its past eight years that culminated in a presentation at the Wisteria Hearst Museum. It was super cute. And we'll talk with Nueva Esperanza, a Holyoke-based organization that advocates for Puerto Rican and Afro-Caribbean population in that city. But first, we go north to Franklin County's seat, Greenfield, Massachusetts. That is the sound of a coffee grinder, and you better get used to it, <laughs> because we are at Catalpa Coffee in Greenfield, formerly Greenfield Isn't Coffee. That what makes like its placiness this radio terroir? I think that is. <laughs> That's the real sound. These aren't special effects for the radio. This is real deal coffee shop noises, because we are continuing our ongoing effort to profile all of the mayoral candidates in the 413. Will we get there by November 7th, Election Day? Unsure. But <laughs> here we go for round number two. Not for lack of trying. Not for lack of trying. We already interviewed the mayor of North Adams. Uh, her competitor. Declined. De declined, we'll just say, <laughs> to be interviewed. And we're here now in Greenfield with the current mayor of Greenfield running for re-election, Roxanne Rita Gardner, the third mayor of the city known as the town of Greenfield, which is my favorite thing to say about Greenfield. Is that still a We don't do that anymore. But we you did do that. This yes, we did. It's so cute. You should leave it like that. <laughs> well, actually, Braintree refuses to be call, call itself a city. So they just still refer to themselves as the town of Braintree. Even though they have a city-style government with a mayor. 100%. Uh, before you were mayor, you were a longtime member of the planning board, 16 mm. years, former school committee member for eight years. You were the chair of both of those committees. Yeah. You were elected in November of 2019, following the eight-year tenure of the second mayor of Greenfield, Bill Martin. About a month after you took office, COVID hit, and that's how your mayoral reign begins. Yes. I'm sure that that was not what you had exactly planned. It was the furthest thing from my mind. Naturally, once I was elected, I thought about, okay, what's the worst thing that's gonna happen? And in my mind, I thought, okay, it will be a school shooting or some really major weather disaster. I think Chris Forgey had a- You got the second one. Several times over. Yeah, eventually we did. Yes, eventually we did. And, and a drought to boot. Uh, you're right, uh, COVID was a wake up call for how to govern. I realized then that I was only going to be as good at governing as the people I lead with or that lead with me. And I just said, you know, I, I need to learn, tell me what you need, what we need to do, and we did. We started working six weeks into my tenure, and we never stopped. As you know, we stood up a vaccination clinic. Uh, we also did the first testing in Franklin County along with GCC. Full disclosure, I'd go to GCC. That's where I did all my testing. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And then we did the vaccination clinic and, and vaccinated 17,700 people. What's the population of Greenfield? Well, that's that's roughly the population. That 17,700 is not, wasn't all of Greenfield. It was it was many people in Franklin County, many people for the eastern part of the state where there were vaccine deserts. I mean, we had people from the Cape. We had people from a lot of places around Boston until they could get their big clinics up because we were among the first. We did it all at the John Zahn. You know, we couldn't have seniors in the John Zahn, so. The John Zahn is the community center here in the right. city, Thank noted you. the town of Greenfield. Just There's assume. a lot of insider baseball happening. I know, yeah. <laughs> and I know a lot of the insider baseball because I live the next town over and I've been, you know, been following Greenfield and, politics and for a long time. I just assume everybody knows 
knows what I'm talking yeah, about. I'll try to clarify when I think that they don't. <laughs> Is that yours? Me. Oh, Police's coffee here at Catalpa with the mayor of Greenfield in a campaign profile. Going back to the John's on, where you kind of made your big campaign announcement when you were running for mayor originally, if I remember correctly, yeah. you made a statement starting with the mayor's office, I will adopt standards for open communication, transparency, and cooperation with and between our city departments in order to provide more efficient, effective, and responsive services to citizens' questions and concerns. How do you feel that you've done in your first term as mayor creating that communication and transparency with the different departments? I think I've, we've done very, very well, to be honest with you. One of the first things I did uh, was hire a communications director. We've had three people in that position since I've been here, but uh, we hired a communications director strictly to handle both outward communications, press releases, notifications. It was key during during COVID. Yeah. And then internal communications. And each of the people in that in that role have, have risen to the occasion. They've all had media background or government background. We set up our Facebook page and made a point of posting every day. It's really a, a, been a, a great effort on, on our part to make sure that people in Greenfield as well as our department heads know what's going on. I think that we have probably done a better job than the previous administration and Mayor Martin probably wouldn't disagree with that just because we had access to a lot more social media and venues and, and, and knew how to use them and could use them. Mm -hmm. Is that an intentionally contractual position or do people just like stay for a year and then move on? It's intentionally a contractual position. Okay. Various people have moved on and uh, we're lucky to have Matt Conway with us now, formerly with uh, whichever one it is in, Chick in the Chicopee area. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Reminder. Reminder. I don't know where that information came. <laughs> well done, please. Maybe I should have gotten a Cortado. <laughs> <laughs> One of the big issues facing. I love being on this show, by the way, if I may say. Uh, I, I've been excited to to be on it. I kept thinking, oh, what is he going to ask me to be on the show? <laughs> now is the time, Mayor Roxanne Wiedegartner. Yeah, I don't catch it all the time, but I I saw that um, or didn't see it. I heard it. The, most of the interview with Grace Lynn. Oh yeah, and that was great. Food. I started in journalism as a food editor, uh, assistant food editor. There we go. And That's I've the done fun journalism job. We should have done the interview at China Gourmet down the street then. Yes. Not far from where we are right now in downtown Greenfield at Catalpa, there is a hotel right off the Rotary that is housing Haitian refugees. There was a great story by our colleague Nirvani Williams talking with those folks, talking with Amy McMahon who runs Mesa Verde, another restaurant close to where we are. Tell us what the city's role and your role you feel is in response to the refugee crisis in this city and what you think your role will be if you're reelected. Uh, well, I'll start with the first part of the question. From day one, the role of the city has been to provide for the public safety of the buildings there. So the health director is involved in that and the fire chief. And why, by that I mean making sure that people have their health care needs met to the extent that we can, uh, making sure that, uh, you know, the rooms are 
being cleaned on a regular basis, if there's hot and cold running water, all the things that you need to maintain safety among a large group of people. That is our role and that will continue to be our role. You know, ServiceNet is the provider out there. They're the people being paid by the state and by all accounts with the odd situation here and there. There was a bed bug incident, but they've taken care of that. Anytime you have large numbers of people in a place, apparently, that happens. Yeah, so. it's happening right now in Northampton. Yeah. <laughs> so ServiceNet is more in charge of helping folks in the hotel in that situation to transition into just being regular citizens yes. or like into better, like more permanent housing. Right, the day-to-day. So they've set up and contacted and are working through the Center for New Americans to get people language, uh, English language proficiency. Many of the people there do speak English, but they need English language proficiency so that then they can go and get their work permits and work. And that's another thing. And this is this is sort of the state's role. And they've been working to get the federal government to understand the crisis that we're in. You know, not just here in Greenfield, across Massachusetts and uh, in other in other northern states that have accepted these folks into their states. So that we need to get these people work permits a lot faster yeah. because they're ready to work. And that's the sooner they can work and, and gain additional income, the more opportunity there is for them to move into their own housing. The less strain on general civic budgetary things. And then we set up a situation pretty early on because, you know, they came in May with just a few weeks of school left, but the children have to be registered that are of school age. So working with the city, the superintendent, and ServiceNet, we were able to set up school registration, ensure that they are all vaccinated or will be be vaccinated and so forth and so on and, and that's been continuing. Did your office have to approve this for the city of Greenfield? We spoke with the mayor of North Adams and she seemed to say that she was approached by the state to set up a shelter at Mass College of Liberal Arts. She said I don't think this makes sense for us. I think we need to take care of the people who already live here first. Did the service net, did the state, did your office all come together on this or they were going to be at the days in in Greenfield no matter what the mayor's office said? If we were on TV you could see me smiling. There was a chuckle. Painfully. Let me put it this way. I received a call at 3 o'clock in the afternoon from Lieutenant Governor Kim Driscoll, someone I know well from being a mayor. Former mayor of Salem. She was telling me about the housing crisis, and you know, which we know of, and the fact that uh, we have immigrants coming in all the time, uh, thanks to the southern states, and that we, the state, are desperately in need of finding places. City of Greenfield has a history of accepting homeless and, uh, and to a certain extent, immigrants from a few years past when uh, Bill Martin handled this program primarily with homeless individuals from the eastern part of the state in our hotels. The hotel that they did then is no longer, but the Days Inn has, in other cities around us here in western Massachusetts, been using for, for months now their hotel. So it was natural. It came up on a list. The lieutenant governor said, as soon as I saw Greenfield, I knew that I needed to call you and just discuss it with you. And I said, because of our history, and quite frankly, it didn't sound like I had a huge choice, but I didn't feel like I necessarily wanted to prevent this from happening. It's a, it's a crisis, and, and we, need to be, we need to be doing what we can. So I said, yes, sure. And she said, well, I, the other thing I need to tell you is they're going to be here by 7 o'clock. There's people that are getting on a bus now. 
Wow. Hey, can you do this? Yeah. Hey, we're hey, we're at the door. Yeah, we're glad you said yes. <laughs> we're here. And you know, there was bumpy roads in the early days. We're all more or less on the you know, rowing in the same way right now. Yeah. Go listen to Nirvani Williams, excellent piece about how the restaurant community, especially Mesa Verde, has stepped up to help every Sunday night. With and the, if yeah. you consider going to one of their pop-ups, yeah. I advise to go early because they run out. Uh, and it's so good. I, I'm, I'm waiting for someone from that community to set up their own restaurant. I am curious how Greenfield did with their ARPA funds. It has been an interesting journey to see what cities did what with their ARPA funds. I'm not aware of what projects your city actually did and what state they're currently in because you've only got through December to yeah, get them. December of 24. Oh, okay. you get a whole extra year. Okay. Uh, there's another year. year. That's the good. whole ARPA thing is really fascinating and a little confusing. Yeah. COVID money for the different municipalities to use in some ways as they see fit. Yes, pretty much as we see fit. And you know there's a fire station getting built down the street on Main Street. Uh, public safety was a big part of how you could spend your money. At least it was the bright side of COVID. What mayor has you know, millions of dollars fall out of the sky. I was lucky enough to get at least five million, a little over five million. I knew right away there were things we could do with it, and the fire station was one of them. A million dollars of that has gone into the fire station. Another big piece was uh, broadband and ensuring that everybody was able to be online. And so we have a G-Set. It's the it's municipal for, internet. It's high-speed broadband, it's excellent and very affordable. It breaks the sort of monopoly that internet companies have for communities that Greenfield on their own created this municipal broadband. You bet, and that monopoly has been hurting ever since. <laughs> so they needed to expand and it's expensive, upwards of seven or eight hundred thousand dollars of the five million has gone there. I also assisted in building the skate park because, you know, outdoor activity and parks and recreation. And, and that skate park is now officially open. It is. People from all up and down the valley are going and, and praising it. Turner Skate Park's still better. Well, of course. <laughs> there is a Turner's Greenfield rivalry, and it will yes. never go away, even though I yes. didn't grow up with yes. it. Of course, you would <laughs> say that. I feel like we need somebody who actually skates to come and rate the skate park. Lou Barlow from Greenfield. Sometimes I see him at the Turner Skate Park. That's all I'm going to say. Honestly, if we want to pitch this to Lou Barlow and just like have that be a recurring segment, I, I love we take that. him to skate the skate parks and have him rate the skate park. This is a good idea. <laughs> At any rate, the skate park, and then I wanted to make sure that many of our social service agencies were assisted with that too. And so I set it up so that organizations like the Interfaith Council, the Children's Advocacy Center, so forth, I just set aside 50 or $75,000 and that they could just apply, not a grant, you know, not a whole, just send me an email <laughs> and that's basically what people did because about 25,000 went to to the interfaith council to provide to assist in the funding of providing shelter for homeless people when there is a weather emergency and to, by by shelter hotel rooms and the children's advocacy center needed to augment their social work with an additional social worker. So that was another example. The Children's Advocacy Center helps victims of abuse 
minimizes the damage when they have to interact with healthcare, with law enforcement, makes it a one-stop shop so as not to re-traumatize them over and over again. All of that is being assisted through this ARPA money? Some of it is, yeah. yes, yes. And so also ARPA money, speaking of that, ARPA money was used to give a boost to the the Wilson's project for housing. And we will use some of Wilson's it. Wilson's is the department store? Sorry, very cursive knowledge. The former right. legendary department store on yeah. Main Street that will be now in the bottom floor taken over by Franklin Community Co-op. Yes. And the upper floors was a hotel for a time and now it's going to be repurposed for more affordable housing or for shelter? Or yes, 65 units of affordable uh, workforce housing, different incomes to bring more housing downtown, which was part of my housing strategy. And uh, some of the ARPA money will also go to the CSO project, which is geared to homeless and is going to be a fantastic reclaiming of property on Wells Street that is pretty much in a slum and blight area. And so they will be expanding their housing as well. (laughs) Nicely done. Thank you. Tomorrow on the show, part two of our conversation with Mayor Roxanne Weidegartner. We'll talk about the controversy surrounding racism in the police department and her controversial decision to cut the school budget. And next week, we talk with Mayor Weidegartner's challenger for that role, Ginny Disorder. Later in the show, as part of our Hispanic Heritage Month programming, a conversation with the operations manager of Hoyoke's Nueva Esperanza, Kayla Rodriguez. But up next to the Wisteria Hearst Museum to talk with students that make up Youth Archivists for Social Change. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. Every community is unique, but one of the singular things about Holyoke is a very specific program in its school system, the Ethnic Studies Program. The program seeks to establish a certain level of cross-cultural literacy and familiarity as well as give students early insight to equity, diversity, accessibility, and so much more. The Ethnic Studies program has a little under a decade in its tenure, but it's already garnered much wider attention from folks seeking to change the narrative and methodology of especially public education. This year, the Ethnic Studies program launched a summer program offering current students the opportunity to archive the work, documents, and projects the program's collected over its eight years. The students involved named this collective Youth Archivists for Social Change, and they presented the season's work this past week at the Wisteria Hearst Museum. Khalees got a chance to speak with the folks involved after their presentation. when I came in, but I'm going to ask you about the program itself. So, um, tell me your name. My name is Jamie Liz. <laughs> I'm going to swap us so that you're not, well, I'm not facing the, the microphone into the noisier corner. Okay. <laughs> well, so, tell me your name once more. My name is Jamie Liz. Awesome. And this is your first year in the program? This is my first year, for first year in like this type of program. I've been in an ethnic studies class for four years, mm-hmm. but this is my first time like volunteering and working for this type of thing. So this is a volunteer program. Um, we did get paid at the start of it. Um, we stopped getting paid, but that is okay because you know I'm still here. I love it. I love it. I love it. 
What's something that you encountered over the summer that you're going to keep with you for the rest of at least your school years, if not beyond? Something I'll keep with me is like what Kwane was saying is that ethnic studies lens. You know, being here in this program and ethnic studies classes really helped me realize that. And realizing that is probably one of the most like, like a moment in my life, you know, a highlight. Something I'll remember and I'll use and like future, like how we were saying earlier. It's something very big. And I believe everyone should be able to get that chance to be in an ethnic studies class, ethnic studies program, whatever it is. So you could learn about this, and not everybody has that chance and opportunity, and I feel like they should. That literally answers the next question I was going to ask. Like, how do you feel about the fact that this program is so, so small and centralized that, like, that you already answered that, so I don't have to answer it now? <laughs> so what is your name? Naomi Robles. Yeah, so I'm the manager for culturally responsive education for the Holyoke Public Schools. So that was what I represented in the collaboration with Wasira Hurst and UMass Department for Education. That is a big mantle to uphold, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm gonna like I love doing like talking to all of y'all because it's just a series of understatements in terms <laughs> of the answers that I'm getting. It's kind of amazing. Is this summer program a new thing, or is there always a program happening with the Holyoke Ethnic Studies program in the summer? This is brand new. This is our, like, oh, baby program! Baby program, yeah. It's, this went so well! It's so fresh! <laughs> and so fresh, and we're committed to doing it again next summer. We're hoping to, we're working right now on it, like restructuring some things we've learned, you know, from the process. Um, and so I'm really excited that it'll be coming back next summer, and we're hoping to be able to invite a new group of students. And we're also considering finding ways to have these students, they've already called themselves the OG archivists. Amazing. Right. So finding ways that they can still connect next summer, maybe coming back to be like peers um, in the work as well. Um, so I'm really excited. But yeah, this is the one and only summer program for ethnic studies and the first time we're doing it. Yes. <laughs> Have you experienced a lot of pushback for this program and others under your umbrella in the Holyoke system? I would say that, yes, in different ways. Right. I mean, obviously, Ethnic studies really is about empowering the young minds of, of the students in our district to um, understand themselves first, to understand themselves in relation to the world, and then to be able to take that understanding and put it into practice. And so sometimes that can rub an adult the wrong way when you're in seventh grade and you're like, hey, about colonialism. No. <laughs> right? So it could be, it could get a little, you know, tense but um but i think people are really coming around um to seeing that it's not a program that's meant to be divisive but in fact we're all about celebrating our differences making room for all of us right and and just like building our community out stronger and better and giving our students an opportunity to flourish as like critical thinkers and scholars in the world right so like the stuff that they're learning is stuff that Hey, Sire. The stuff that they're learning is like things that I didn't learn until I was in college, but our seventh grade is learning it and our eighth grade is learning it and so on through 11th grade. So, so yeah, are there folks who um, maybe are in opposition to? Yes. And also I think that we're starting to, you know, win them over and show them that it's not about dividing, but it's about like coming together and celebrating difference. Change is always scary, but it is also good. Yes. <laughs>
I'm going to try my best to hit all of you in the small amount of time that we got left. <laughs> but Zaire, you were the youngest person in the program. Yes. And this is your second year in Holyoke Ethnic Studies? Second, since eighth grade. This will be my last year. Though, this is your last? This is your last year? Last year. And you don't only, get to do it anymore? It only goes up until sophomore year, which is what they're actually trying to change. Right. Did not realize that because we have seniors in this program. Yes, we so, have seniors. like, is that a separate program? No, I just think we all have shared the same bond and love for ethnic studies. So, and with the connections, we all just got brought in here. <laughs> <laughs> you get to finish the year in this program, correct? Or is it over after this, like, this term? This it semester? is done at seven o'clock, unfortunately. Whoa! For the okay. first year, at least. For the first year, at least. We'll okay. Be, we'll be back. Okay. There you go. It's just the impact ethnic studies will have on you. You won't even realize it or you'll realize it and then realize that you'll realize this some more. It's, it's very complicated to explain, but I'd share this to everybody. Everybody needs the ethnic studies in their life the, way, the same way it's impacted us. So I'd say yes. What's it felt like having the work that you spent all summer on in this museum? Important because not only have I met an amazing person in Penny that will make sure it's still here, but the point is, it's still going to be here. Like, it's going to be here forever. We did this, we made this change. And it's, it's so impactful for me to see, for people to see. Like, you'll ever wonder, 100 years down the road, people will still be like, hey, these people were in an archive for the first time in 2023. That's awesome. All right, and your name? Zaire Burton King. Word. Good job. This nice is fantastic. to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Oh, I love the energy. <laughs> Thank you. And now I'm going to do this all backwards and go, hey, what's your name? Hi, my name is Kwane Golston Thomas. Um, <laughs> do I give my, like, everything? Oh, no, I'm no, a... No, no, okay. no. That, that's, that's funny. <laughs> and I've just sat through your presentation as part of the Youth Archivist for Social Change here at Wisteria Hearst Museum. And I'm going to go talk to some of your colleagues in a little bit. But, like, that was pretty amazing. And the whole program is great. When they asked you to archive... Did they specifically want you to do the Holyoke Ethnic Studies program? Yes, so it was um, like promoted to students who are part of the Ethnic Studies program. So Naomi Robles went to my leadership um, in action Ethnic Studies class, and Penny and Dana went to the other students' English or History Ethnic Studies class, and they advertised it there. You got asked in the presentation, like, what was one of the things that stuck out at you? What are some things that you would like to change in the greater system to make people more cognizant of what the Holyoke Ethnic Studies program actually does for the community? Um, ooh, that is such a deep question. Okay, so I think first of all, recognizing that Holyoke Ethnic Studies is here to teach and inspire students and not to combat against administrators and representatives of our cities and our superintendents and sorry to name drop but yeah it's not to combat those people we're actually trying to fix the system so that it doesn't continue to oppress students um, and I think that's the important thing is acknowledging that Holyoke Ethnic Studies like I said before it's not a course but it's a lifestyle it's not something we do in school and leave this is, this is all day every day
All day, every day. <laughs> you are at UMass and you worked with yeah. them? Um, <laughs> yeah, the three of us did an AmeriCorps teaching fellowship um, two years ago, so summer 2022. And Juane was able to do it as a high schooler. She was probably one of the youngest people there. And now I guess you're not allowed to do it anymore in high school. But it was really cool for us as rising seniors studying education to work with high schoolers as like equal teaching fellows. Um, and that was, that was in Holyoke too. Wait, like like a teaching fellow in AmeriCorps as a high school student? Yes. So I was 16 at the time. I was going into my junior year, and I taught sixth grade math and um, games, too. That is amazing. Thank you. So what is your name? Uh, my name is Evan Kennedy. I'm a junior at uh, Dean. So was your last year in the program in the ethnic I'm trying to figure out exactly how long the ethnic studies program runs and it's like it's like one of those weird linear math problems where I've gotten a lot of different numbers from a lot of different people and now I just have to figure out the timeline on my own but it seems like your last year in ethnic studies would have been last year and this is kind of like an addendum Yes, yes. I took ethnic studies in 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th. In Dean, we can't go past 10th grade, unfortunately. Um, but every some middle schools in Holyoke don't have ethnic studies. I was fortunate enough to go to one that did at the right time. I went to McMahon. Um, so I took it for four years. And this was actually a great experience because not only would it give me the last chance to take in all of the knowledge of ethnic studies, but it also gave me an opportunity to work with um, the Holyoke archive piece which was like my favorite unit in ethnic studies was Holyoke's history so it was really like a win-win situation. History has always fascinated me um, even though I may be you know more inclined to learn about this history than like about their history <laughs> um, it yeah it'll definitely continue because it's just you know it could even if I'm not majoring in it it could still be a hobby. How do you think your participation in this inaugural program this year is going to affect or change your coming year in high school? Um, it'll definitely give me like the mindset to do it. I didn't. I didn't really think I was gonna do this because I'm. You know, I don't. I don't love working in groups of people. I'm more of an independent person because I just. I have social anxiety. I'm just super awkward, as you can tell right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but this will definitely you know encourage me to like if. Like, I could have missed this. If I didn't fil finish my, put in my application, I could have missed it. So it'll give me, like, if I want, if I'm thinking about doing it, then I have to do it. Because it'll, like, I might regret it. I would have regretted it if I didn't work with all these amazing kids. Flock. What is your name? Heisha. Okay. And is this your, this is your second year in the program also? Of ethnic studies? Uh, of um, uh, Holyoke uh, Ethnic Studies, yeah. No, it's like my third or fourth year. Cool. Yeah. You did say that. I remember. <laughs> I was there for that whole presentation, I swear. And I wasn't paying attention. Except apparently retaining numbers. How does it feel to be in the inaugural program for for something like this? Um, it was nice. Like I said, um, at first I was a little skeptical, but I always wanted to join something like this, and I saw the opportunities, so I took it. What are your names? I'm Jana. I'm Dana. I was a co-creator of the Ethnic Studies program from 2013 to 2021, but I am no longer working in Holy Public Schools. I'm a PhD student with Jana at UMass, and that's how we know each other. And my research is on K-12 ethnic studies, and so I get to stay connected to this awesome work in Holyoke Ethnic Studies. I work with Naomi and the students and helping to co-create YASC, the summer program. Um, so that's why I'm here right now. 
the Holyoke Ethnic Studies program itself, I think, is incredibly important. How did, I mean, it seems clear that you saw the need, but how did you actually get the, the impetus and the go-ahead to make it happen? Oh, God, how long you got? Uh, so I there's mean, a whole video over there. I but, know, um, I saw, I saw part of it. And a program, if you get, take this link with you, some good information on that. Fantastic. But uh, in sum, I was introduced to ethnic studies when I was teaching in San Francisco Unified School District, and they were piloting ethnic studies around the time that I moved here, and so brought those practices that I had learned and brought those into my own teaching here, um, and then was able to share that with other colleagues at my school, and then eventually... Um, me and those other colleagues were able to share it with other colleagues at other schools. And it was just like a, a grassroots movement of teachers being like, yo, our middle school social studies curriculum sucks. Um, no one's watching because we're not under receivership yet. There's this weird in-between time. Let's, let's take advantage of it and, and build an ethnic studies program. Um, there's other details in there. There was some support at the district level at that time. That person has since left the district. Then we met up with Joel Arce, who was a PhD student at the time at UMass, who was interested in doing work on ethnic studies, and he came and really like, breathed some life into our vision. Um, and through his partnership, he connected us to other colleges in the area. We built the community partnerships, and, and over the course of eight years, we, had, I, we, had, we built a pretty robust, I think the first 7th through 12th grade ethnic studies lateral, uh, vertically aligned ethnic studies program, certainly in New England, probably in the East Coast, and maybe in the country, but I'm not sure about that. So you don't quote me on that. It's, I mean, it's kind of astounding how involved the local colleges are with this program. Can you speak to why it would be really important for them to get involved on, in something locally? As a, as a new PhD student coming in like three years ago, it was really cool to have professors who had this local link and who could speak about the research um, in their community in class as an example of how they could do community-engaged research. Um, and they were actually living their, their values and living their practice through the research. And then at the American Educational Research Association, we saw I saw Dana and team's presentation. Um, they had to use a pseudonym for the school district. Um, but it was really cool to see um, how many people in the audience were excited. And the Q&A was like super like, interactive. People were just, just stayed way longer than the session to like ask questions about the program. And so it was really, really cool to see. And it's, it's cool for me to see like, oh, this is the type of scholarship that I could do with colleagues in my local community and then bring it back to the college again and then ha use it as like a, a classroom learning laboratory type of thing for students. I know that you're not in charge of what the summer program is, even though this is the inaugural year. Like, that's, this is a big leap and a really good one to take for your first year. This is really impressive. But why archival work? Yeah, so initially, um, the UMass research team that I work with, we spent like 2021 school year, I think it was 2021, 2020 school year, making that documentary over there with community partners and, and university partners and students and families. And we wanted to originally just display it in a public place and invite the community to come. So we reached out to Wisteria Hearst thinking that this would be a cool venue to screen a, screen a film, right, or a short movie and, you know, do a panel on what is Holyoke Ethnic Studies and why it matters. When we came to Wisteria Hearst and shared the idea, Penny elevated it. And she was like, yo, we want youth in this space. We want to disrupt what this mansion on the hill represents. And um, maybe we can get some archival work in there with them, which seemed perfect because 
Um, in years past, the Holyoke Ethnic Studies program was disrupted by some incoming school leadership who um, doesn't really understand deeply why this work matters and cut important positions like the director position. There was like an exodus of ethnic studies teachers at that time and Naomi is now like breathing life back into this program. Um, and so we were like, wait, this is a great idea. Let's, let's document the work because the district is in the process of trying to erase this work at least from my perspective and some of the researchers that I work with. Um, so let's, you know, let's, let's mark the fact that this work is here, it was here, and something important happened and is continuing to happen. So Almost like the archives to engender like, more of preservation work within the, the system. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah, the kids are awesome. <laughs> yeah, they're amazing. I mean, your kids yeah, are amazing. It was they're amazing, they're fun, and yeah. Yes, yes. They're probably getting mad at me because I'm not helping them clean. I'm, I'm supposed sorry. To be yeah, no. No, but I'm happy to talk to you. <laughs> I guess I'm aware that I'm not doing anything. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Let's take a different perspective on that. So for anyone who's balking at, at this program or who thinks that maybe it uses too many resources, maybe it, whatever reason they have for not liking. not liking or disagreeing with it, what would you say to them? You suck. <laughs> Thanks so much to Kwane, Zaire, Jenny Liz, Heisha, Evan, Naomi Robles, and Dana Altschuler for taking time out of their reception to chat with us. If you missed the presentation, you can still see the documentary about the program on YouTube by searching for Holyoke Ethnic Studies. And the work that they did over the summer is going to stay as part of Wisteria Hearst's collection. Excellent. Yeah. Up next, we'll stay in Holyoke and hear about Nueva Esperanza as it starts its fifth decade with operations manager Kayla Rodriguez. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, helping customers make the switch to solar for savings, energy security, and tax incentives. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. I'm Kali Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. We're joined by Kayla Rodriguez, the Executive Director for Nueva Esperanza in Holyoke, whose mission is to be a catalyst and partner for a vibrant, sustainable, and powerful Puerto Rican slash Afro-Caribbean community in Holyoke. Nueva Esperanza was founded in 1982 as a way to mobilize residents and revitalize neighborhoods in South Holyoke, but at present it does a lot more than that. Thank you for coming to the show. Thank you for having me. No problem. It started in 1982. Tell us a little bit about the history of what was going on then that caused the creation of this organization, Nueva Esperanza. Absolutely. So I wasn't there at that time. I wasn't alive. Right. <laughs> Don't make us feel but, old, uh, Kayla. Yeah, feel but old from enough. obviously from our board members, what I've learned is that I'm not sure if you guys or where who Carl, um, Carlos Vega is. Yes, mm -hmm. okay, and I know so, his son well, Aaron yes, Vega, who still yes. works in city government in Holyoke. Yes, and we, we work very well together, very much. Um, so, yeah, so Carlos Vega and a group of other uh, people founded Nueva Esperanza. Um, so during this time, there was a lot of landlords that were either setting their buildings on fire for tax reasons or any other reasons, um, and also sending people to, to set fires on these buildings. So... Um, Apparently, one time they did that, uh, 
a woman and her son passed away in Ugh. a fire. So that's where they all got a little upset and started this rally here and created this is where Nueva Esperanza came from. And Nueva Esperanza means a new hope. Correct. So it's, yes. it's not just a Star Wars movie anymore. No. Oh my goodness. No. <laughs> It's Star Wars. I did look up what, how to say Empire Strikes Back in Spanish, but we're not going to go there and get, and get derailed too far about this. Also, that would be the opposite of what the organization is, is trying to exactly. do. Well, but the Empire continues to strike back, I think, a lot of times through people of, uh, of all, all over the world. Um, so tell us, you've been involved with Nueva Esperanza uh, for how long? I've been with Nueva Esperanza for six years now. Oh. But executive director for only a year? A year, yeah. yes. Year so and a half. Congratulations. Now. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> Tell us so we hear about why it started. Tell us about what Nueva Esperanza does now. Okay, so Nueva Esperanza, it's an arts and cultural nonprofit. So we do a lot um, involving obviously artists and anything under art, music, paintings, murals, anything that you can define as an artist. So <laughs> at the moment, what we are working on. What Nueva Esperanza is really focusing on at the moment is we have we are managing the Corazón Project, which is the heart of Holyoke. Um, we're working with the City of Holyoke OPED Department, so Office of Planning and Development, that That's which is Aaron, Aaron Vegas, Vegas correct? <laughs> yes, and Stephanie Colon, which you can't forget her because she is awesome, and she's um, the one finding all these grants for all these Holyoke projects. So. Um, the Corazon Project was started with that office and handed down to Nueva Esperanza to manage. And so what it's a it's a placemaking project and basically it's on Main Street Holyoke and we are working on designating that area as the Puerto Rican Cultural District. Uh -huh. um, so uh, through local, obviously, and the state. So that's what we're working on and that's where um, we've done all the murals and I'm not sure if you guys are aware of what oh, yeah. 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 We have yeah. Was Aaron Vega with us when we saw No, but the mayor no. was with us when yes. we saw yes. the ones. Yeah, there there are a bunch of gorgeous murals yes. uh, throughout downtown mm -hmm. Holyoke and those are almost all or almost all because of the work of Nueva Esperanza? Um, yeah, we were involved from the beginning. Um, so Nueva Esperanza um, collaborated with Beyond Walls. We brought them out there out mm -hmm. here 2022. Mm -hmm. And that's where um, we fundraise. We work together um, to do the first round of them. And then uh, the City of Holy, well, the Corazon Project was definitely, was the the project working with this. Um, and then the second year, which was this past summer with the City of Holyoke, um, they found, found, found sorry, found funding to bring them back. And they did, but between that, we've been working also with um, artists directly. Like we had also Colectivo Moribibi from Puerto Rico. So we had um, UMass uh, granted us uh, 35,000 to bring um, these ladies out to do a mural through the Mellon Foundation. So we did have a mural which we brought in the youth um, from our community, 10 youth, and they made up the whole idea of it it's la cultura um, poderes cultura in the mural right next to nueva esperanza and the um the fire uh elliot's fire sprinkler system building it's right there it's it's huge and pretty much is the most uh cultural relevant um mural that i feel like we have and it was basically the the my favorite part of it is the fact that the kids were involved and it was the kids who brought the ideas in, the colors in, and what they they saw, they saw Holyoke 
to them. So tell us, it, tell us about what's in the mural that may, that makes it so culturally yes, relevant. Yes, absolutely. To you. So we have some South Public buildings. Um, there's music coming out of the windows. That's salsa bachata. Many guys you can't hear, but you can see it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you also have um, calle social club painted on there. Who that's calle? I'm def, uh, my parents are from calle in Puerto Rico, so mm-hmm. I vouch for that one to be up there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we have um, Capri Pizza up there as well. Capri has been in Holyoke for I don't know how many years, but definitely longer than Nueva Esperanza for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so before they re- they're renovating, so before they renovate, we wanted to make sure that we caught you know that painting of what they are today. Um, we also have uh, Fiesta Cafe restaurant mm-hmm. on there, which he's a really good uh Friend of mine, but also a board member at Nueva Esperanza, but also before the mural. He was not a board member, but now he is. And <laughs> he does a lot for the community and tries to get, he's also a uh, Fiesta Patronales, which uh, we'll bring it up in a few. Uh, he's also part of that uh, committee. So we also have on there um, Bomba uh, Dancer. We also have drummers. We have kids in the mural. Uh, and I can't remember what else, but... You did a pretty good description yeah. right off the top of yeah. your head. It's not like you're looking at a picture uh, of No, the not at all. But yeah. There's a lot going on yes. in that mural. And the kids were the ones that picked, picked what places they wanted to put up there and what they wanted. So whatever they envisioned, what, Holy, what Holyoke was culturally to them. So that was pretty awesome. I love that. Mm-hmm. We're speaking with Kayla Rodriguez, the executive director of Nueva Esperanza, lifelong Holyoke resident. It'll be interesting to hear about from you when we come back how Holyoke has changed over the years and how the organization that you now lead is continuing to lead in those changes. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 85 NEPM. I can say numbers. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. We're speaking with Kayla Rodriguez, the executive director of Nueva Esperanza, which has had a major cultural impact in the city of Holyoke. So every time that I've been in the space, it's always surrounding some event that involves like teens. And you're talking about this mural that they were heavily involved in. Can you just speak about like getting youth involved in your organization and programs that you do for them and with them? Definitely. So at the moment, we're not currently working um, have any running any programs obviously i'm a one-woman show in the organization (laughs) um soon we'll have more but definitely um we try our best i do a lot of collaborations with a a lot of other organizations which i want to thank enlace one holyoke uh nuestra raíz there's also the holy public school does a lot and a lot of many other um and that's how we get these type of programs or events going so uh one of the youth programs that we had which was with uh with Colectivo Morivivi he she had a they had a big community uh painting day so basically the mural was also painted by the community and these kids so it was pretty awesome um we do have a lot of ideas of what youth programs we want to bring in that's definitely one of our focus um but all the other events it's in collaborations where I can't do it alone so definitely I I have the support of other organizations just like they have mine so it's it's pretty yeah but it's wonderful that they know that you're there yes. to to take advantage of that came out wrong <laughs> take advantage in a good way take it in a good way in a good way yeah <laughs> your mission statement says that creation community culture and collaboration are part of what Nueva Esperanza does and you've done a good job painting that picture for us literally and figuratively with all the murals we've been talking about 
Um, but also Nuestras Raíces and En Las de la Familia, which you both, which you mentioned, grew out of, yes. uh, of Nueva Esperanza. So they were born out of uh, Nueva Esperanza, yes. So uh, Betty Medina. Yes, she was. She used to be a Nueva Esperanza employee for many, many years, and Hilda from Nuestra Raíces as well. So they, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, um, they started programs with the uh, farming with Nuestra Raíces, and then Las and they kind of went on their own too. To create that, but that all started in Nueva Esperanza. So it incubated is, these other very yes. important uh, mm-hmm. organizations in yeah. the city of Holyoke. And the best part about it is that how many years later, and we're still working together very well hand in hand, so that's pretty amazing. I'm telling you, we have beautiful, amazing um, community leaders, and these organizations really do work well together. I, I'm super impressed. I didn't think it was ever going to be like that, and, and it's just phenomenal. We get things done together, so... Kayla Rodriguez, you lead this organization that incubated these important things and that continues to lead. How has the city changed in your lifetime watching the city grow and progress? You now have the first Puerto Rican mayor of the city. So the Puerto Rican community <laughs> has really um, asserted itself in a way that maybe wasn't possible when you were yeah. younger. So him being the mayor now, which is first Puerto Rican, Latino, you know, mayor, it has changed a lot because now we have a lot of um, Latino ex-community um, Hispanic interest to run for these types of you know positions, and they're actually more motivated now to to be leaders in this in this community. So it's pretty awesome that we have all these leaders working together because that's the example that Josh Garcia actually you know brings out. He's he's all for us, and we see it every day. Um, he, you can tell what he's doing because you can see it in these organizations in the community. Period. So that's pretty. Amazing. And we did have jo- the mayor on when uh, Fiestas uh, de Patronales was on a couple mm-hmm. months ago, and that will be a, a regular annual event put on yes. by Nueva Esperanza. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so Nueva Esperanza is a fiscal sponsor, but also I am personally involved, um, actively involved with being a volunteer for the committee. So, mm-hmm. I am a committee member as well. So, I worked a lot for them, and this is probably one of the best projects I've had. Um, we have such an amazing team, very. Uh, Different personalities. <laughs> I love it, but I love it because uh, they challenge each other to to be better, to do better, to think outside the box. So definitely, that's probably the most um, fun I've had in in a specific project. So yeah, <laughs> and like you're looking for volunteers to help. Correct? Absolutely, yes, because yes. you're alone. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So we do get the. Good thing about obviously being friends with other organizations is that they offer their volunteers, so it's pretty awesome. Cool. Kayla Rodriguez, the executive director of Nueva Esperanza, thank you so much for giving us a, some insight into the great work that you're doing there. Appreciate it. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Khalees Smith. We'll, we'll see, see you, you tomorrow, tomorrow on, on the, the Fabulous, Fabulous 413. 413.